As Morgan said, I'm so thankful uh, to be able to start the service like we did and see Jared baptized. But uh, so much went wrong that you didn't know about during the baptism. I was wearing waders, so I didn't get to experience what I thought I wasn't going to experience what Jared was experiencing. And I found out that my waders had a hole in the bottom. And so um, as we were sitting in the water, uh, my left leg was filling up with water. I'm like, man, this is going to be bad. Like, it's going to come over. So, uh, and then Jared's kind of tall, so I had to work a little hard to get him down. And the water came in this way. So I'm just all kind of stuck wet. I had to go change my socks, as a matter of fact. Thank God I had a pair. But now I'm all messed up because look at these socks that I put on. And I'm making an aim not to ever wear orange and blue. So this is probably going to be the worst message I've ever preached in my life. Um, and just so you know, if you just made any kind of uh, Gator reference and that's the, the most you praise today, then something's wrong with you and come down to the altar a little later on for idolatry. Um, anyway, with all of that said, thank you so much, guys, for being here. Thank you for those that are watching online. And if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open with me today to Romans chapter 4. And welcome to week 9 of a series that has us walking through the book of Romans, this difficult book, but... This book that is the clearest and most in-depth look at the gospel in all of Scripture. In Romans, Paul works through basically the most important and most pressing questions that have ever been asked of the human race. And he shows us that the gospel is the answer to our questions. It's the answer to every problem in this world. And Paul's logic is so strong that in the first 100 years or so of the Harvard Law School, first-year students were required to read through the book of Romans in their first year because uh, Paul does such an amazing job of laying his argument, of building his argument, of bringing it home. For Paul starts this letter with basically the things that most of us have observed in our life, the sin that is dwelling in our world, and then Paul explains that the gospel is the best explanation uh, for all the issues, for the problems. And along the way, Paul anticipates objections and things that are going to come up, and he answers those before they can even be asked. So today we come to Romans 4, and after calling Abraham and David to the forefront, as he did at the beginning of Romans 4, showing that they were saved by grace through faith alone. Now Paul digs down into the life of Abraham and the faith of Abraham and lays Abraham's faith before us. A faith that basically he calls unwavering, which is why today's message is entitled Unwavering Faith. One of the best definitions I've ever heard of faith is that faith is believing in advance what only makes sense in reverse. It's believing in advance what only makes sense in reverse. And when you think about it, the Bible is a book about faith. It's a book about God's faithfulness to his creation, to his people Israel, to the church. It's about the faith and fidelity of Old Testament saints from Aaron all the way to Zechariah. It's about the, the faithfulness of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. It's about belief and obedience um, in Christ and, and of Christians who come to faith in Christ and we persevere in faith. The whole biblical story is a story of faith and Here's the beautiful thing, brothers and sisters, faith puts us in this story. Faith puts us in the story of redemption. It brings us in the company of the faithful so that we can walk with Abraham to Calvary, to the empty tomb, to Pentecost, and then we can anticipate the new heavens and the new earth. Faith means that we are a part of the story of God, and faith means that we can trust and live by and step in the promises that God has given to us. So what I want us to do this morning, I want us to once again dive into this deep book 
And I want us to behold together the unwavering faithfulness of Abraham. And then we're going to end today a little different, but I, I think it's the way that the Lord impressed upon my heart for us to end, but I won't get ahead of myself. If you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word together. We're going to read Romans 4, 13 through 25 together, and Paul writes these words. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the, of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and come before this, your word. Lord, this is your word. It is living. It's powerful. And God, we ask today, Lord, that by your spirit, speak. Speak to us in this room, Father. We pray for any that's here, Lord, that don't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. But others of us in this room as followers, God, increase our faith. Give us faith, Lord, as we just sang, to trust what you say. Give us faith, Lord, to walk in obedience to you. Lord, increase our faith, Father, we ask, for we know that faith still pleases you. Have your way, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So the reality that I want to place before you this morning is that all of life is a life of faith. Whether you have faith in your friends, your family, your, your plans, your people, whoever they might be, your ideologies, your institutions, or forces beyond our own earthly realm, every single one of us is looking to someone or something to anchor our lives to in the midst of all the uncertainties that we walk through. There's not a person here who is not at this moment anchoring your life to someone or something. We all reach out somewhere, whether we're religious or not, because God ingrained within us the nature to trust. Yet the question for us becomes, what is biblical faith? What does it mean to to have the faith that the Word of God speaks of. Now, what we know is faith is a firm conviction that what we hope for will one day be realized. Faith is a confidence about the future that to many seems or looks futile. I love the words of Martin Luther who said, Faith is a living, unshakable confidence in God's grace. It is so certain that some would die a thousand times for it. This kind of trust and knowledge of God's grace makes a person joyful, confident, and happy. 
with regard to God and all his creatures. This is what the Holy Spirit does by faith. So returning to Romans 4, Abraham is given to us, is presented to us as the most exemplary example of faith in the biblical story. Most of us know the story. Abraham responds to God's call. He leaves his home. He leaves his homeland. He leaves his parents. He even leaves his ancestral gods. And he goes to Canaan to worship the Lord and to be the father of many nations. He faced hardship. He faced division, testing, opposition, war, and infertility as he waited. In fact, everything seemed to point in the opposite direction that God had pointed him to. Everything seemed to be blowing up in his face. Nothing seemed to be, a go, to be going according to his plan, but Abraham did not give up. Instead, he maintained his trust in God. He wasn't looking at probabilities. He wasn't looking at logic. He was focused on what God told him, and he was crazy enough to believe him. Brothers and sisters, there's a situation in our lives by which we will either orient ourselves to our problems or we can orient ourselves to God. The reality is there are many people walking in churches today, they, their, their problems are more a part of their lives than God is. Their problems have identified them. Their problems are what shapes them, what gives them identity. And we're going to talk about that more in just a few minutes, but today I want to lay before you five truths that show us or point to the unwavering faith of Abraham. And I pray that it would become our faith. Number one is this. Abraham believed the promises of God mean something. Abraham believed that the promises of God mean something. Look at verse 13 again. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world. Verse 16, that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to his offspring. And then verse 21 brings it all home. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. Listen, there was no hope for Abraham and Sarah except for the hope of God's promises. And that was all the hope that they needed. Again, Abraham just didn't believe in God in general. He believed in a specific pr a promise that God gave him, and he adjusted his life around that promise. And from that point on, Abraham took the step of faith, and he walked with expectation that he would become the father of a multitude of nations, even after year upon year of infertility. And here's what we have to understand, brothers and sisters, that believing or having faith is not simply... Um, Thinking about God is taking God at his word even when things don't make sense. Even when we can't write the picture, even though we can't make it right, we trust the promises of God. I read a story a few years back that stated that every year $5.8 billion worth of gift cards go unclaimed. So grandparents, stop giving gift cards to your grandkids because they're not using them. So $5.8 billion, these are benefits that have been paid for and aren't being used. And let me tell you how we relate that. In this book, we have over three to 5,000 promises of God that most professing believers aren't using. We don't cash in. We don't believe in. We don't walk by faith. Um, and we walk by sight in every way possible. Even though, according to 2 Corinthians 1, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. Even though Jesus paid for these promises with his own blood. I have a question for you today. What are you doing with the promises of God? Now, you might say, well, my Bible is filled with 
yellow and blue and red and green highlighters where I, I've color-coded all the promises of God for every day of the week. And that's great. And that's wonderful. I pray that you do that. I pray that you are underlining them. But what else do you do? Some of you might say, well, I've memorized a lot of promises of God. Well, that's awesome. That is beneficial. That is a very good and helpful thing to do. But the full answer should be, I take the promises of God to the bank and I cash them in. I believe them. I live by them. I apply them to every situation of my life, not just the ones that I can make sense of. I believe the promises of God. I love the words of one theologian who said, let us remember that the condition of us all is the same as it was with Abraham. All things around us are in opposition to the promises of God. God promises immortality, yet we are surrounded by mortality and corruption. God declares that he counts us righteous, and yet we are covered with sin. What then is to be done? And he says this, we must pass by ourselves and all things connected with us that nothing may hinder or prevent us from believing that God is true. Brothers and sisters, Abraham believed the promises of God mean something because they do. Promises of God mean something, not just for his life, but for your life. Secondly, Abraham believed that God can do anything. Abraham believed that God can do anything. Look at verse 17. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead, now that's something, and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That's something else. Now here's our problem. Anytime you and I, and I'm just speaking, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and speak for all of us, because again, we're in church, it's a good place to be honest. When we face opposition, when we face difficulty, when we face circumstances, the first thing that we do is we try to see whether we can work it out in our minds. If we can work it out in our minds, or if, then God, you, you got this. Because if I can work it out, God, then you can work it out. But if we can't work it out in our minds, we somehow convince ourselves that God must not be able to handle it. All the while, God is saying, my thoughts are greater than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. What are you doing trusting in yourself? Or what are you doing projecting your own weaknesses on to me? Your own inabilities on to me? Listen, Abraham believed because Abraham said, the God that I serve isn't powerless. There's a beautiful reminder that every time, or just a lot of times when God spoke to Abraham about Isaac, he spoke as if Isaac was already in existence, even though Isaac had not yet been born. God spoke to Abraham saying, this is your son. This is what's going to happen. These are the nations that are going to be impacted. So God repeatedly told Abraham, you're going to have a son. You're going to have a son. You're going to have a son. And on one of these occasions, Sarah, his wife, hears. Hears God saying, you're going to have a son. And do you remember what, it, what does Sarah do? She laughs. She's like, yeah, right. That ain't happening. Not today. Maybe, maybe years gone by. It ain't, ain't happening. And God said, Sarah, why did you laugh? And of course, Sarah did the most human thing possible. I didn't laugh. That wasn't, wasn't me. It, the allergies are really bad right now, and it must have been me coughing. You know, something going around. You know, she began to lie, which is our human response. And God looked at Sarah and said, Sarah, is anything too difficult for the Lord? Is anything too hard for me? Because, oh, Abe, he believes that I can. He believes that I will. Listen, we need a perspective adjustment. 
Do you get that? We need, we need that, but the question is, how do we get it? And we get it by understanding who or what we're dealing with. For example, in Acts chapter 4, the church of Jesus Christ was forbidden to speak the name of Jesus Christ all throughout Jerusalem. If you do it, you're going to be imprisoned, you're going to be persecuted, you're going to be beaten. And persecution came down hard upon brothers and sisters. But we're told of a story in, in Acts 4 where apostles are, are beaten, they're imprisoned, they're released, and they go to pray. You know what they pray? They didn't pray, oh God, things are really, really hard, and this feels impossible. No, it says they prayed, Lord, you are God. You made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything that's in them. You know, why is that important? It's important because they were going through some heavy things, and they needed to frame their perspective with the reality that our God, who made it all, is able. He made it all. Our problems, I'm going to get ahead of myself and I'll, I'll catch up in our next point. But we let our circumstances block our view of God. Let me give you another example. The sun out there in the sky that's been heating up a little bit over the last few days, that little ball is actually 864,000 miles in diameter. It's 109 times larger than the size of the earth. Now, my phone is not 864,000 miles in diameter, but my phone can block the sun when I do this. And all of a sudden, I do this, and I can't see the sun. It feels like darkness. All I see is this. And brothers and sisters, that's exactly what some of you in this room are doing with the circumstances that you're facing. You have placed them right before you where that's all that you see, and that's your identity, and you can't see anything else. Brothers and sisters, if I take this phone and I let it creep up into the sky, there's going to come a time, guess what? I won't see it, but I will see the sun. And I will see the effects of the sun. And the, the reality, brothers and sisters, if we are not careful, we let the problems and difficulties and things of this world blind our eyes even to something that is 864,000 miles in diameter. And we are blinded to something that's even greater than that. Listen, how often do we go through life letting many small things block our view of god and i say small and i know some of you it never it never feels small right what we go through never feels small i think of what paul wrote light and momentary afflictions they never feel light and they never feel momentary they always feel heavy and eternal right Okay, just me. Okay, just me. The, the rest of you guys, your life is amazing and good, and we might as well just go on to the next point because you have no circumstances in your life that are um, messing you up. But I'll just speak to myself right now. Abraham decided at 86 years old that he was going to let God be God, and he was going to believe God regardless. If it didn't make sense to him, he believed that God could do anything because he served a God that could do anything. Brothers and sisters, do you? Do you serve a God who can do anything? Which leads us to truth number three. Abraham believed that circumstances aren't everything. He believed that circumstances aren't everything. Listen, I know that circumstances come into our lives. We all have difficult circumstances. And many of our lives are always there. They look pretty tough. But they're not everything. Look at verse 19. It says, He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. 
So God said at 75, you're going to be a father of many nations. Then when Abraham was 86, God says, you're going to be a father to a son. Then Abraham turns 99 and still no kids. Now just imagine with me Abraham looking in the mirror every day. I don't know if they had mirrors, but just imagine a 99-year-old, almost 100-year-old, wrinkly, wrinkly face looking in the mirror going, I'm going to have a kid today. I mean, there had to be something by which the mirror, mirror, mirror on the wall ain't going to happen. I mean, there had to be something. Or imagine this scenario, a 99-year-old Abraham taking his 89-year-old wife to the pharmacy to buy a pregnancy test. I mean, just imagine the talking that's going on in that pharmacy. I mean, physiologically, all of this is impossible. Sarah has all, always been barren. You think things are going to get better now? No, there's the chances diminishing by every breath that she takes. Both of them, according to Abraham and according to Paul, are as good as dead. That's, that's the picture that we get. Now, let's, let's actually spice things up a little bit. I said that Abraham was 86 years old when God gave him the promise, but actually Abraham wasn't 86 years old. Abram was. Abram was his birth name that was given to him, and it means exalted father. So imagine Abraham's called exalted father, and he has no children. Then God comes to him when he's 99, and God says, you're still going to have a son, but I'm going to change your name. And there had to be something within Abraham that says, thank God. It's going to change my name. I don't have to carry the exalted father name anymore. Yes, God, change my name. And God says, now you're going to be Abraham, the father of a multitude. There had to be something within Abraham that goes, no, God. No, any, any name, any name but that, God. Any name but the father of a multitude. Just imagine all the things that were coming against Abraham. But let me just say this. Let me lay this before you. Abraham never denied his circumstances. But what he did do is defy his circumstances. He said, my circumstances are not going to dictate my belief in the God that I serve. What I'm feeling in my body isn't going to dictate the God that I serve and my belief in him. Even the things that my wife might be telling me in this moment aren't going to dictate my belief in God. Listen, faith doesn't deny that things aren't bad. You know, faith, faith isn't convincing yourself that things don't exist when they do. And faith isn't convincing yourself that things do exist when they don't. No, faith is understanding the reality that you're living in and yet also understanding that your God is the God of your reality. That's understanding that your God is the God of your reality. And God isn't shackled by your circumstances even if you are. Even if you are, Abraham believed that circumstances aren't everything. Which leads us to truth number four. Abraham believed that challenges are nothing. Abraham believed that challenges are nothing. Look at verses 20 and 21 again. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able. If you're going to underline any words in that scripture, underline those three. God was able. God was able. He is able. But we're told, Paul says, no unbelief caused Abraham to waver. Now, the word waver means to um, vacillate or to doubt or to change your mind. Now, some of you who have read your Bible before, or maybe Bible students, you're thinking or you're saying, well, hang on a second. I've read the book of Genesis before, and it 
sure felt like Abraham wavered. It sure felt like he doubted. It sure felt like he did things on his own. Let me explain. Genesis 15, Abraham's, or Abram's 86. God says, you're going to have a bunch of kids. And Abram said, amen. And God counted to him as righteousness. In chapter 16, Sarah comes to him and says, listen, this ain't happening. The writing is on the wall. It's not happening. So here's what you do. Take my servant, Hagar, have a son with her, and he'll be the son of promise. And this amazing, wise man, for some reason, said, okay, sounds like a great idea to me. So slept with Hagar, had a son. And we know some people will say, well, it's Sarah's fault. Abraham was right along with it. Then we get to Genesis 17, and God comes to Abraham, and God says, or Abram, you're still going to have a son. And Abram says, God, I have a son. His name's Ishmael. Let him be the son of promise. Let him be the one. And God said, no, no, no. This isn't about you doing what you think I'm going to do and me blessing it. Listen, brothers and sisters, we don't, we don't bring our plans to God and say, God, sign off on it. I've done it my way. If you can just bless it. No, God said from the very beginning, I said you and Sarah, and I meant you and Sarah. Listen, the, the reality that we have to understand is that when we think about all that Abraham went through, struggling is not the same as doubt. Listen, struggling faith is not doubt in the same way that temptation to sin is not sin. The very fact that Abraham was trying to figure out how to fulfill the promises of God showed that he believed the promises of God. He wanted God's promise. He just tried to take a shortcut and the promises of God, but he held to God's promise. And think about this. Think about the challenges that you're facing right now in your life. I want you to just pause for a second and think about what they are. Are your challenges everything to you because you're comparing them to your strength, to your ability? Or are your challenges nothing to you because you're comparing them to the ability of God? Brothers and sisters, I pray to God that if anything, we'll walk out of here and refuse to let our problems do this. Refuse to let our circumstances be the central piece of what we see in everything. And then we would allow God to let us see him for who he is. Abraham believed that challenges are nothing. Which leads us to point five. Abraham and believed, excuse me, and received right clothing. Abraham believed and received right clothing. Look at verses 22 to 24. His faith was counted to him as righteousness. We've talked about that for the last two weeks. That word literally means right clothing, to be clothed rightly. By the words it was counted to him, were, or but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe. And so what Paul is saying, don't miss this. Paul was saying Abraham was counted righteous because of his faith, and you can too. You can too. You can be counted righteous because of your faith in Christ. Saving faith is literally the hand of faith that lays hold of Jesus Christ. It lays hold of what he has done. It's the admission that we can't save ourselves. We don't, we're not strong enough. We're not wise enough. We're not good enough. But Jesus has done everything that you and I will ever need for salvation. We're faithless. He's faithful. We're powerless. He's powerful. We are filled with sin, and he's filled with righteousness that he's willing to wrap us in through his Son. 
Listen, faith is just us, you and me, leaning all that we are upon him. So let me just pause for a second before we end by saying this. If you are here today and you have never trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, I pray that today, this very day, would be a day of salvation for you. A day that you stop trusting in yourself. You're not good enough. Stop trusting in your parents' faith or your grandparents' faith or your uncle that's a missionary in Africa because that is not enough. Turn from trusting in yourself, turn from your sin, and turn in faith to Jesus Christ, trusting him, hear this, alone as your Savior and your Lord. And the Bible says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, that today would be your day of salvation. But let me also in this moment talk to believers in this room. Listen, many of us, every single day of our lives, we fight temptation and we fail because we don't bring God's promises into the battle. Do you know that in Ephesians 6, the Bible, or Ephesians 6, this is called what? The shield of, shield of faith. Let me just say something to us today. I'm going to just, I'm going to go preacher for just a second. And this might sound like I'm angry and yelling at this because I want you to see. Many of us, our shields are about this big because the shield of faith can be increased by believing the promises of God, by allowing the promises of God to shape our shield and make our shield to which it doesn't matter what comes into our lives. There's a promise for whatever comes, for whatever circumstance, and we're going to believe our God over that circumstance. But many of us, we have taken the promises of God, we've let them wash in and wash out, and our shield of faith is so small that it protects us from nothing. It protects us from nothing, everything. We're, we're just easy prey because we don't know or understand the promises of God. Listen, we began today, the first point, speaking of the promises of God, and this is where we're going to end. But let me, I want to put a, uh, a quote on the screen for you, and this is going to kind of project us forward in, in closing. And this is from Nancy Spiegelberg, and just listen to what she says because this is so powerful. She says, Lord, I crawled across the barrenness to you with my empty cup, uncertain and asking any small drop of refreshment. If only I had known you better, I'd have come running with a bucket. How many times, brothers and sisters, do you and I crawl with little expectations of God? But yet, if only we would know him and know who he is, we'd run with a bucket in our hands, knowing that God has more to give than we're even able to receive. So I want to end today by just reading the Bible over you. I'm going to end today by just reading some powerful promises of God's word. And as I read them, I pray that you're doing more than just receiving them in your hands or just a cup. I pray that you would receive them with the faith of a bucket, a God-sized bucket of what God wants to do. You know, the Bible says, we're going to get to this later on in Romans 10, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I've had so many people come to me and say, I just, want, I just want my faith increased, Mike. I just want to see my faith increased. And I always say this, are you reading your Bible? But no. Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. If you want your faith increased, you don't want, you don't want your faith increased when your Bible's closed. If you want your faith increased, open the word of God and believe what it says. Believe it. So I want to read some promises today. And here's what I'm going to say. Wherever these hit you, 
I pray if, if God leads you to amen, to clap, to shout, to run around the building, whatever it is, that you would be obedient to it. Because here's the deal. I'm going to read these with passion because I believe them. And I pray that you would believe them too. Isaiah 41, 10, 13. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Matthew 11, 28 and 29, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Isaiah 40, 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. Let me say it again for more than one person who just said amen. But do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all. All understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Exodus 14, 4. The Lord will fight for you. The Lord will fight for you. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters... I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Isaiah 54.10, For the mountains may depart, and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. My covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously and without reproach, and it will be given. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John 8.38, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? 
Psalm 9, 10. And those who know your name put their trust in you. O Lord, for you have not forsaken those who seek you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. James 4, 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Psalm 103, 2 through 5, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What are his benefits? Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, and who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And I have three more, Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Psalm 23, 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever. In Revelation 21, 3 and 4, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more hallelujah neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and the only way that doesn't make you happy is if you're in love with the things that are present brothers and sisters the former things are passing away and we will be with him oh today that we would receive the promises of god and believe them I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to call praise team forward and, and end this time of worship today. But let us pray. Father, we come before you in this moment. Oh, God, increase our faith in you. God, give us, Lord, by your grace and mercy, the ability, Lord, that is not in us, the supernatural ability, Lord, to understand that you are God, that we are not, that you can when we can't. And, Lord, you are more than able. God, you're able. You're able. Lord, forgive us for trusting in ourselves. 
forgive us for having such a neat and smug little doctrinal mindset by which everything that we think we figured out about you, Lord. And, and Lord, we're, we're safe and we're good right there, God. Forgive us for putting you in a place, God, where you never intended to be. Lord, blow our minds with the fact, God, that not only do you allow difficulty to enter our lives, God, you're greater than the difficulty that you allow. And help us, Lord, instead of putting the circumstance or the problem or the difficulty right, right before our eyes, Lord, help us to step back, to put that difficulty down so that we can focus on you, the one who is faithful, whose mercies are new every morning. Oh, God, great is your faithfulness. Lord, just end this time today in a way that only you can. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would stop carrying cups into your presence begrudgingly and instead, Father, run with buckets of what you want to fill up. Increase our shield of faith, God, because faith pleases you. Finish this time. In Jesus' name, amen.